Welcome to Voices of Care. Coming up in this edition, I'm speaking to Charlie Massey, the CEO at the General Medical Council. It's tumultuous times for the medical profession, facing unprecedented workforce pressure and burnout, and the small matter of the transformation envisaged by the NHS Workforce Plan. We mustn't take our eye off the ball in terms of retaining the workforce we've got because the next period of years before those new doctors and new nurses and other healthcare professionals come on, on board are going to remain intensely challenging and we need to value and look after the workforce we've got. Doctors at risk of burnout had moved from one in six the previous year to one in four. It showed that doctors who were dissatisfied with their work had nearly doubled from 22% to 43%. And most worryingly of all, it showed that the number of doctors taking hard steps to leave the profession had more than doubled. All of us in a, you know, have a leadership role and at a time of acute pressure in the system, um, I believe that our, our mindset should be all about what is the role we can play in providing solutions to these challenges. Hello, I'm Sahel Mirza, and welcome to this episode in Season 2 of our Voices of Care podcast. I'm joined today by Charlie Massey, CEO at the General Medical Council. The Voices of Care podcast seeks to get to the heart of the issues facing the health and social care system, and by discussing how we can enable the healthcare workforce of the future. The medical profession in the UK is facing tumultuous times, unprecedented workforce pressure and wellness and burnout, and the small matter of the revolution envisaged by the NHS Long-Term Workforce Plan. To help us navigate through all of this, uh, who better than Charlie Massey? So, Charlie, thank you very much for giving us your time today. Thank you, Sahel. It's great to be here, and thank you for inviting me. It's it's our pleasure. Um, before we get into the substantive issues, um, it's 40 years since the Medical Act, uh, which is the governing piece of legislation for the General Medical Council. And I think we all know what the General Medical Council is in broad terms, but it's a transformation time for you as well into, as a regulator in terms of helping patient care and, of course, driving improvements in medical education. Perhaps you'd give us a bit of an overview in terms of the vision over the next few years for the GMC. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, our, our statutory objectives are to protect and promote patient safety and we do that by setting the standards for doctors, um, by overseeing their medical education and training and by maintaining a register. Um, But you asked about our, our vision and although those are our statutory objectives we're very conscious that doctors work within a wider system of healthcare. So increasingly over the last few years as an organisation, we've tried to think about what are the things we can do that can help keep doctors out of trouble and, and thereby also support our objectives to protect patients. So uh, so we've been thinking a lot about our role in terms of uh, a sustainable workforce and, and what we need to do and others need to do to enable doctors to provide the best possible care to patients. Absolutely. That, that word sustainable workforce is, is, is really important. We I think it was in November uh, 2022 when you were reporting on uh, the update insights that you shared regarding why are doctors migrating and you said that actually this was a vicious cycle that uh, the medical profession was facing. We were losing uh, doctors and that there was no cavalry uh, coming over the hill and in prescient remarks you said the next few years if I can paraphrase will be arguably the most difficult that the NHS ever faced even more than the pandemic. We, We really are in quite extraordinary times aren't we? Well, you're absolutely right. Our, our data are incredibly sobering. Um, so we, we published recently our data, which was from field work that we undertook in 2022, and it showed that doctors at risk of burnout had moved from one in six the previous year to one in four. It showed that 
Doctors who were dissatisfied with their work had nearly doubled from 22% to 43%. And most worryingly of all, it showed that the number of doctors taking hard steps to leave the profession had more than doubled um, from 7 to 15% in the previous year. It had doubled from about 3% to 7%. So we do see worrying signs in our data and and you're quite right we described vicious cycles so the intensity of workload that many doctors face creates situations where more and more are stressed and becoming increasingly burnt out and that's forcing more doctors to leave the profession migrate leave the UK which of course leads to greater intensity of workload pressures for those that remain Um, and and whilst I think it, it was important to talk about those vicious cycles um, it's very easy to get trapped in a very doom-laden narrative around all of this. We, we also talked about virtuous cycles. Mm. So, um, so actually, our data also show that doctors who work in supportive environments are more likely uh, to, pro- to, to, to report that patient safety isn't compromised. And where doctors said that patient safety wasn't compromised, 81% of those did work in supportive, inclusive environments. So I think what's incumbent on the GMC and other regulators and, and institutions is to think about how do we create those those virtuous cycles, much of which isn't rocket science, I would argue. Um, making sure that we have good rotor planning, making sure that we have effective in onboarding and induction, particularly for doctors and other healthcare professionals coming from outside the UK. So there, there are things that we can do, but the data are, are very challenging. No, absolutely. And that... Uh uh, imperative to ensure that you support the workforce is perhaps even more acute now because we've had, of course, the seminal self-proclaimed once-in-a-generation NHS long-term workforce plan, which is envisaging a dramatic increase in the number of clinicians, including doctors, uh, growing the, the profession, medical places. Uh, you broadly welcome, of course, uh, that, that vision and the transformation that it uh, is implicit in terms of medical, medical education. We do. Um, I think it's it's very welcome. It's been a long time coming, uh, the long-term workforce plan. Um, And uh, we have an important role to play in giving effect to many of the things that the government and NHS England have set out within it, Um, not least in relation to the expansion of medical school places, innovation and medical education. And we may want to come back to that. Um, But I think a point you made earlier, um, it is long-term. (laughs) the workforce plan Um, it takes a long time to make a doctor Um, it's five years in medical school two years as a foundation doctor and then several more years for doctors going onto the specialist and and GP register and that expansion of medical school places isn't going to happen overnight so so it's going to take at least a decade um, Mm. to see those numbers translate into doctors working on the front line and, and therefore, um, whilst we should welcome all of that and all do what we can to support it, we mustn't take our eye off the ball in terms of retaining the workforce we've got because the next period of years before those new doctors and new nurses and other healthcare professionals come on, on board are going to remain intensely challenging and we need to value and look after the workforce we've got. No, absolutely. And I think your State of uh, Medical Education Practice Report uh, 2023 brings out for me that thread that you've touched upon already uh, the immediate and present danger around wellness burnout I think the numbers are some 25% of those respondents reporting their burnout risk as as very high Mm -hmm. no indeed indeed Um, and and burnout is is a real challenge because burnout is going to be the thing that's going to lead to more doctors 
deciding to hang up their boots um, well before one would would want them to. And and that burnout is is also um, uneven. So um, so although you're absolutely right, one in four doctors reporting themselves at a high risk of burnout. If you look at trainers Hmm. of whom we're going to need a lot more to support the expansion in medical school uh, places over half of trainers report high risk of burnout and if you look at trainees Hmm. uh, around two-thirds of trainees report very high levels of burnout so so when we think about the the kind of workforce that we're building that we need to cherish uh, and nurture um, we need collectively to think about doing more to support them and make sure that we're building that training capacity, but also looking after the trainers we've already got. Absolutely. And I think one aspect, and we'll come back to this, I think this is a fundamental to how the plan uh, it will actually be actualised. Um, if we look at that retention issue that you've talked about, you've made uh, in your various strategy documents uh, the clarion call for equality diversity and inclusion and for me I see that very much not in a silo from wellness but the other side of the same coin Mm -hmm. can you expand about how important we have a very diverse internationally trained workforce within the medical profession and there have been challenges in terms of disparities and gaps in terms of uh, exam attainment from people from uh, a BAME reported background so can you just put the spotlight on how important that is the challenges and some of the improvements because some of those gaps are closing yeah yeah, yeah. so um so the medical workforce is, is is probably about the most diverse part of of the healthcare workforce generally so overall 42 percent of doctors um are from a black and ethnic minority background and actually if you look at new doctors joining our register it's nearly two-thirds mm. now a lot of the reason for that is over recent years we've seen a massive increase of, of internationally trained overseas trained doctors wanting to come and work in the UK and of course that's um, in many ways a very positive thing in terms of people wanting to come and work uh, in the NHS and we've become very dependent on those doctors who do a, a phenomenal job but one of the challenges we face is that we don't always create the conditions in the NHS to enable all of those doctors to fulfill their potential we see too often uh, too many um, black and ethnic minority doctors being overrepresented in terms of what comes through our fitness to practice front door. Mm. So if you are a, a doctor from an ethnic minority, um, you are twice as likely to be referred to the GMC by your employer than if you're a white doctor. Now, my belief is that these aren't inherently bad doctors. My, my belief is that there are things that happen that, uh, um, that create... Uh, kind of a more excluding um, sort of dynamic that mean that some doctors um, find themselves in positions where um, they will be more likely to be referred to us and sadly that that seems to be the case particularly for doctors from ethnic minorities. We also see gaps in terms of attainment through education and training so if you're a doctor from an ethnic minority you face a 12% higher failure rate for your exams than if you're a white doctor and if you're if you're an overseas trained doctor it's as high as 30% that gap mm. so so because of that um, we um, have uh, gone out of our way at the GMC to say actually you know we want to set ourselves some incredibly ambitious uh, um, so some ambas- ambitious commitments to address that inequality so we've said that we want to eliminate that disproportionality in doctors from ethnic minorities coming through our front door in terms of fitness to practice referrals we've also said we want to eliminate those gaps in attainment through education and training 
Um, and and that's a, that's, that, that is a very significant commitment because it commits the GMC to do things that it can't control. Mm. So a lot of the things that brave. are... Going, well, it's, it's brave, but it's important um, mm. because if we're seeing doctors essentially... Um, uh, kind of being on the receiving end of kind of insider-outsider dynamics where those that are outsiders are more likely to find themselves in trouble with their employer and ultimately in trouble with the GMC. These are things that we must address. So there are things that we can do. So we provide free uh, welcome to UK practice training Mm. for doctors from overseas. But we're also working very hard with the NHS and all four countries across the UK where we work to think about how do we get better and more consistent induction and onboarding? How do we understand the dynamics that drive doctors to struggle more to achieve the same attainment through education mm. and training and taking uh, um, taking action as a result, working with Royal Colleges and others? So these are really, really important commitments um, that we've set out and we're determined to, to see them through. And uh, speaking anthropologically, the importance of relationships are going to be fundamental. Uh, are you seeing good practice, some areas where, which are giving you confidence that actually this uh, initiative is being embraced fully? So we, we publish an annual report on mm-hmm. progress against those, um, those, those targets because we want to be completely transparent in terms of what we're doing, but also use that as a, a call to arms for others. And we, we published our latest annual report a couple of months ago, uh, and that demonstrated that there was progress mm-hmm. against all but one of the key measures that we use to, to, to assess how well we're doing. Uh, and that is undoubtedly good and positive news. Um, but there is absolutely no case for complacency here. Um, there is still a significant journey to travel. Um, and, and in a system which is under so much pressure, it's really important that we continue to hold that mirror up to ourselves and to the wider system to make sure that we're all doing everything we can to enable us as a society to get the most out of every single doctor and to value every single doctor that works within the health service. Oh, a- absolutely. And it's good to hear that there has been that progress. And um, just tarrying a, a moment longer on this issue, um, the GMC itself is walking its talk in terms of you've got your own uh, uh, ambitions in terms of the proportion of your own workforce from uh, a diverse background. Yes. So, so, so when we set those plans, we also set ambitions in terms of our own workforce, um, where we're making positive steps, though we have, um, we don't have as good a representation uh, of colleagues from ethnic minorities um, at a more senior level through the organisation. That's not a, an uncommon challenge, but it's one we're determined to address. And also within the GMC, we're determined to make sure that all of our processes are, are fair and, and, and inclusive. So, um, and, and, and actually, we've been on a bit of a journey ourselves in terms of that. So a few years ago, when people uh, challenged me about um, p- potentially disproportionate outcomes for doctors from ethnic minorities going through our fitness to practice mm. processes, we would typically go and um, get some independent research from universities to, to give us some statistical analysis of whether there was disproportionality. And that invariably said that there wasn't a problem around that. But my mindset has shifted um, mm. within the GMC. So my mindset is now one where all of us in a leadership role need to accept and understand that there is always bias and there's always propensity for bias. And so our job shouldn't be to find evidence that it doesn't exist. Mm. Our job should be to go um, and and seek out ways of addressing the bias that does exist. And, and that, I hope, 
um, is manifest in, in, in a big strand of work that we set up within the GMC to improve fairness uh, in all of our regulatory processes. And, and it's, uh, it's encouraging to hear that, I think, for everyone. And it's, it's such an imperative because your National Training Survey, published recently, does highlight, the I think you called it a worrying level of uh, discrimination faced by trainees, I think 27% reporting microaggressions, etc. So it starts at that beginning journey, and therefore it's important to make sure that we have that supportive, inclusive environment every step of the way. Absolutely. So, um, uh, so, so that the national training survey for the first time was collecting data on on, on discrimination, and as you say, um, over a quarter of trainees said that they had personally experienced microaggressions, and very um, significant numbers saying that they'd observed um, discriminatory behaviours. Um, it varies from specialty to specialty, um, but I think it is something which. I observe a greater determination across the system uh, to address. Um, but these things aren't, aren't easy. Um, the health service is not a single, a single organisation. It's not a single employer. So what is incumbent on all of us is to think about how can we accompany and support employers to create environments where doctors and all other healthcare professionals um, feel valued to support them with data. So one of the things that we have a lot of, and I've talked a bit about today, um, is the data that we have and our ability to shine a light. And that will help leaders of organisations, employers within which doctors, nurses, other healthcare professionals work, understand where they need to be turning their gaze in terms of addressing those issues. And I, and, and I, and I expect we will continue uh, to talk about that and we'll continue to see uh, um, how that data changes um, over future years, hopefully in the right direction. Uh, and just to go back to that point around, we're sticking with retention here. Uh, you talked about the wellness because that's very much part of that journey. Having an inclusive culture supports wellness without doubt. The evidence is very clear. Um, are you seeing good initiatives and what are you calling for in terms of that support to minimise the level of burnout, not just for trainees, but uh, in terms of their pressures, but also for the whole medical profession? So, so, so some of this is, is challenging, but mm. a, a lot of it is actually not rocket science. Mm. So, um, so when we when we published our, our data that that showed those burnout mm. figures, we sort of said, well, actually, there are plenty of examples of employers that that have much more effective rotor planning in place. There are examples um, of, of employers that have rest and refreshment facilities. I have to attend to the basics like childcare, parking that have good induction and onboarding and I, I go around um, all four countries where we where we work and I meet doctors um, in both secondary and primary care and I see loads of really brilliant examples of, of where things do work and I think one of the challenges we've always faced in the NHS is that we're we're not always good um, at kind of um, replicating that best practice um, elsewhere and I think there that is a job that the GMC and other regulators and other system bodies have is to, is to showcase where that, that operates and, and, and see if we can replicate it. And indeed, a few years ago, we, we, we did some work with um, Professor Michael West um, around compassionate leadership and, and well-being to your question. Um, and we tried to capture within that lots of examples of, of, of good practice that essentially deal with what, what he describes as the ABC of well-being for doctors. So creating um, opportunities to give doctors autonomy, yeah. uh, a sense of belonging, and also competence in terms of the skills. And, and, and I think, again, this isn't 
overly complicated stuff and 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 we of course have an important role working with medical directors and boards ourselves to to really hold that mirror up to individual organizations um but i think you know sharing that best practice can can go a long way too absolutely and that will become very important as we now move to this uh, growing of the workforce envisaged by the long-term plan um doubling of medical school places etc i wanted to touch upon you you've been very clear uh, the gmc in terms of supporting the idea of greater flexibility in training now that is within the plan perhaps shorter degrees different pathways can you just touch upon some of the things that you envisage that will change because it's quite a dramatic uh, transformation medical apprenticeships for example new roles that need to be regulated so it's exciting i think you've been on record as saying it's an unprecedented opportunity to to change the regulatory framework yeah i, I, th- I think it is really exciting i mean the, the plan um is, is very ambitious um but i believe it's it's doable um and in addition to the um, increase in numbers what the plan envisages um, are different pathways both into medicine and through through medical education and training and I think um, opening up medicine to apprenticeship routes creates um, a real potential to widen participation in medicine that I think it would be a very positive thing obviously those apprenticeship routes need to be um, providing the level of support to enable all of those students uh, to succeed in terms of getting their medical degree. Um, the plan also opens up the possibility of, of, of shorter medical degrees. Mm. And we've always said it should be about outcomes, not time served. Um, but I expect what we're going to see is, is medical schools developing a bit of a mixed economy um, mm. of different pathways um, through medical education. And, and, and our job um, isn't to design all of that. Our job is to make sure that the standards are being maintained through all of those different routes. So one thing that is going to be a really important enabler of all of that is um, is a medical licensing assessment that we're introducing uh, next year, which will essentially um, create a more consistent measure for doctors uh, demonstrating they have the knowledge and the clinical skills to come onto our medical register. And with that medical licensing assessment in place, it means that we um, have you know, essentially the tool that can then drive a lot of that that innovation uh, in medical education and, and training. I also expect that we're going to see a growth in medical schools um, mm. and, and, and satellites thereof. Um, I think it is, um, I was really pleased in the plan to see a focus on building places in relatively under-doctored areas. Mm. And, and that, I think, is really important if we're going to have a strategically coherent approach to increasing medical school places. Otherwise, we end up clustering more and more places around the places that are already arguably overserved in terms of those both undergraduate and postgraduate training places. So, so we need to do it in a, in a, in a, in a strategically coherent and, and sensible way. And I, I'm really excited about that. And, and obviously, we at the GMC um, quality assure and oversee all of that education and training. And, and we're already beginning to talk to, to universities about how they make sense um, of those plans. Obviously, one thing we still need to understand better mm. um, is what is the profile of, of funding and how's that going to drive innovation? That's obviously a question for government with, with, with NHS England. And, and and I mentioned earlier training capacity. That's it's, predi- it's, 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 it's predicated on the fact that you have sufficient and expanded training capacity even as trainers are, according to your reports, facing additional pressure now. Yes, and and so so if, if yeah, this is one area that perhaps um, hasn't quite been um, 
fully worked through in the long-term workforce plan, but but needs to be, um, mm. I would argue, pretty rapidly. So um, we know that people enjoy their role as trainers, where, where doctors are trainers, 89% of them say that they enjoy that role. Um, but as I said earlier, um, more than half of trainers feel burnt out, at high risk of burnout. Um, we know that um, too many trainers say they don't have the time to deliver the training they need. And these, of course, are all issues in the here and now mm. with the number of um, medical school places and postgraduate training places that we have. In a world where we're doubling all of that, we need to massively enhance that training capacity. We need to think about how do we protect trainers whilst at the same time delivering the service challenges that we will continue to face and so so we want to work with those bodies that are going to make the important decisions around that to make sure that we don't take our eye off the ball in terms of building that trainer and educator capacity. Absolutely and, and one final point to circle back on this issue to your earlier comment uh, the uh, flexibility of pathways including apprenticeships uh, potentially at least offers a a democratization in terms of a wider cohort socioeconomically represented uh, within the medical profession yes i mean we, we've known for, for many years um that medical schools have been massively oversubscribed mm. uh, and the way in which medical schools have therefore um chosen to admit students has quite understandably been on their um their their, their a-level results um so you need a string of a stars in most cases to go to medical school um and 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 as a result we don't see the intake of medical schools schools uh, representing the, the rest of society. We've seen um, a much greater proportion of medical students who've been privately educated, for example, um, and we see some parts of the country where actually um, the, the, the participation in medicine is, is incredibly low or non-existent. Mm. So, so, so the apprenticeship routes, I think, are, are really exciting. Not, not, not in a, not, not. Um, uh, yeah, there are some people who worry that this is going to be a dumbing down of medicine. Mm. I, I completely do not buy that narrative mm. whatsoever. Um, but about providing different routes um, with the appropriate level of support, I think enables us to create a cohort of doctors in the future that are going to be very well equipped to meet the, the needs of the population, not just in terms of their intellectual abilities, but their ability to engage with patients in medicine, which is becoming increasingly complex and where some of those more generic skills around leadership, communication um, are just going to become more and more important. So, so I, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a very exciting element of the plans that the government and, and NHS England have set out. Well, let, let, let's see how that uh, uh, unfolds. Um, I wanted to end with what I see as an important thread running through a lot of your pronouncements and, and what you've said today, which has been really refreshing. Um, you were at the Confed Expo earlier this year and uh, made a telling speech about the importance of leadership. Uh, the evidence you've talked about, Professor Michael West, of course, whose work is ubiquitous on the fact that leadership leading to supportive environments leads to better patient care. I think that's unarguable. Mm. But that concept of leadership, you've said sometimes when times are tumultuous, can be relegated as, as a soft option to deprioritize. And you called it a false economy. And to, prior, to paraphrase your terms, it's, it's in fact exactly in terms of acute stress that leadership is so important. To bring all of this together will require leadership at, at a different level of order for the medical profession. Uh, just how important is that and what work is being done to support that leadership? So, so I would argue that, that leadership um, is an integral part of every doctor's practice, should be an integral part of every doctor's practice. It's not, for me, an issue of hierarchy. You know, leadership is not the same as, as management. Um, leadership is fundamentally about a collection of behaviours, 
um, in relation to how doctors engage with patients, but also how doctors engage with the multidisciplinary teams um, with whom they work. And, and I would argue that you know, even in medical school and immediately thereafter, those medical students becoming doctors are leaders and should be thinking about their role um, as leaders um, in terms of their ability to, to exhibit um, all, all of those those behaviours. Um, and, and, and we are putting more emphasis on that in terms of what we say about doctors. So we will uh, be publishing very soon um, our updated good medical practice, and that does place a lot more emphasis on the role of doctors as leaders and the role of doctors in terms of working with those multidisciplinary teams um, so I think it's fundamental but it's not just for doctors um, you could you could extend everything I've just said um, to to the nursing profession and indeed of course the senior service leaders you know we you know and, and, and indeed people like me all of us in a, you know, have a leadership role and at a time of acute pressure in the system um, I believe that our, our mindset should be all about what is the role we can play in providing solutions to these challenges. It's very easy to get into a heavily doom-laden narrative um, about quite how challenging um, our world is. And, and, and as we've talked about today, there are undoubtedly many, many challenges. But I do believe all of us, whether sitting atop regulators um, um, or doctors sitting within the profession or people sitting within the arms length body structure, we, we all need to think about our own role as leaders in providing solutions to those, uh, those challenges. And I think if we do that together, we should be optimistic about the future. Uh, and uh, on that optimistic note, I'd like to take the opportunity to thank you, Charlie Massey, for your uh, insight and your vision. And we're very grateful to have had you here today. My pleasure. Thank you very much, sir. Pleasure. If you've enjoyed this episode of Voices of Care, please like, follow or subscribe wherever you receive your podcasts. And if you want to find out more about how we are enabling the healthcare workforce of the future, please visit newcrosshealthcare.com forward slash Voices of Care. In the meantime, I'm Sahel Mirza. Thank you very much and look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Voices of Care is published by New Cross Healthcare. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved.